Welcome to Catherine Flynn's podcast, Intelligent Edge Yoga, conversations for smart, compassionate practice. Each episode will guide and inquire into ethics-based spirituality within a modern paradigm of practice. Whether your practice is yoga, Ayurveda, meditation, or simply living a life full of intention, this is for you. I'd like you to take a moment to consider supporting this podcast through Patreon. Your pledges enable the continuation of the podcast. Patrons will also receive exclusive resources, uh, behind-the-scenes material for instructors, guided yoga and meditation sessions for yogis, and everything in between. This is just the start of something new and exciting. You can be a part of it by going to patreon.com slash yoga and clicking on the large orange button. Thanks. Welcome to Intelligent Edge Yoga, yoga conversations for smart, compassionate practice with Catherine Ann Flynn. I'm Catherine. Hi, yogis. Before we get into the second talk from my autumn silent retreat, the women on retreat, there are 20 minutes of bonus material for Patreon supporters that will be eternally available on patreon.com backslash intelligent edge yoga. The content is a conversation about meditation and menstruation from an Ayurvedic lens. And then I also spend some time talking about other concepts of our construction, as well as Ayurveda's view on menopause. So if you are a Patreon supporter, you can also find that uh, having launched today in January. This talk is about a 20-minute talk followed by a half-hour meditation with some guidance toward the beginning. Other than that, I hope you enjoy the talk and the sit. Okay. So, uh, so yesterday I spoke about the importance of stepping out of our lives uh, to digest the sensory impressions of our lives. Uh, which speaking of spring's cacophony, we don't need spring to have a cacophony of sensory impressions in the digital age. Um, and so we're going to talk about mindfulness meditation with mental noting as the technique today. Um, and while we've all gathered here today to spend some time in meditation, the truth is, is more often that your physical body is here, uh, but your mind is often off doing something else. Has anyone caught themselves in our time together in very amusing places? Have you been, yeah, around the world and or your job or back at your desk? You were at the <laughs> Meredith was at a concert. I was listening to a tribe called Red the other day and thinking of you. That's almost within my head. Okay. Yeah. Um, so sometimes referred to as labeling, mental noting is, is the process of, of acknowledging what is happening uh, when you've made an exit and you are somewhere other than what is happening right now. I talk about this when I teach, um, when I teach Shavasana. Often through visualizations of guided meditations, we often think that good meditation happens on a beach where there are palm trees. I went most of my life without ever having seen a palm tree. I have seen one. But, but I've heard about a lot of palm trees, <laughs> considering how few I've actually seen. And so we really, we develop this idea that, that meditation and integration is about being somewhere else or, or being in a state of being other than what's happening for us right now. And in terms of Shavasana, it really is you lying on a square piece of rubber in good company of other people also lying on square pieces of rubber, acknowledging what is happening right now. And so mental noting is, is the same process. You catch yourself engaging with the thoughts as they arise and then categorizing them for the kind of thought they are. There's no particular way to approach this practice. You may have received different instructions on it, and I'm sure you will again. Um, 
we often remember the ones that are particularly strange. I distinctly remember, this is a very long time ago, but I distinctly remember once catching myself rehearsing, describing the meaning of a tattoo in detail, like in my mind, I was my, my body maps were being exercised. I was like visually walking through, pointing out all of the plans and what they meant. I had no plans to get a tattoo, <laughs> never have, probably never will. But I caught myself and I was like, why is this important at the moment? But that's not the point is to even ask, why is this important? It's to acknowledge that it's happening and then coming back to sitting on your tuffet, breathing your breath with what is happening right now. Uh, and sometimes we distance ourselves from what is happening right now because what is happening right now is really, really challenging. And so the places our mind can take us are a lot more appealing. Family therapists will talk about um, identifying patterns rather than content. So you're engaging in content right now. He did this, she did that. I take out the garbage, he doesn't. We agreed it's his job. Um, and so often what family therapists will do is, is get you to acknowledge what your pattern is together rather than the content so that you can intervene sooner, so that you can acknowledge the red flags. Oh, <laughs> oh. We're going to a place that's going to be destructive for us and then intervene sooner. And this process is, is the exact same. You get to know yourself so you catch yourself deviating from the task at hand a little sooner. Internally, if a thought arises, and I know a lot of you in the room are facilitators and studio owners and yoga teachers. And so if you find yourself uh, deconstructing a method, a piece of information, the structure of the retreat, uh, you might catch yourself and say, analyzing, <laughs> analyzing. And then if a sit is particularly difficult and you oscillate between, I'm very bad at meditation, I'm very bad at meditation, and then things get easier for a few moments, you're like, oh, I'm quite good at meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Only to return, I'm very bad at meditation. Uh, you might interrupt that pattern and acknowledge judging. If we're on retreat or we're in a sit and we're using the time to rehearse a conversation about tattoo plans or otherwise, we may acknowledge storytelling. And if you're thinking about where you're going to find groceries in Arnprior tomorrow morning, you may think about planning, planning. Some people have such a good time pointing out how they're distracted that that becomes the distraction. And uh, I, have to, I think about my family when I think about this because it's very common at, when I'm with my parents to talk about the latest um, mindful self-compassion workbook. We like workbooks. Um, or the, there's a new book about Buddhist teachings and the princess bride or sound healing techniques. And, and there's a time and a place, it's a wonderful way to spend your time, but there's a time and a place for discussing methods and thinking about methods and thinking about concepts and then actually just experiencing them at play. And so if you catch yourself overly engaging with the activity and upstairs you're like storytelling, planning, storytelling, judging, <laughs> that might be too distracting and you may then release it to thinking or wordlessly acknowledging you have wandered. Buddhism in particular talks about right effort 
right? The moderate, the moderate life, the middle way, but right effort, how much effort is required. But the truth is that in whatever you do, have, has anyone ever learned to run or learn to do yoga or heck learn to do anything or oh my, learn to swing a golf club? <laughs> right effort is challenging right out of the gate. It can be a little crazy looking <laughs> and a little strenuous to begin with. Sometimes it's really sharp to begin with. It's sharp, strong, consistent practices. The gentleness and the moderation comes with time. That can be in a single sit, and that's over the course of your relationship with practice. And so we can think of certain elements of mental noting. The specific categorization is a little bit sharper, a little bit stronger. And then when we ease off to thinking, thinking, it's a little more gentle. And then when we ease off to wordlessly acknowledging, it's much more gentle and more subtle. And it all depends on what's happening for you internally. There are going to be days where you're going to have to be a little more disciplined with yourself. And there's days where you need your own gentleness. I've mentioned that your anchor could be breath or sound. And... And I mentioned that sound can be more challenging for yogis who are used to, you know, dropping in and then sort of bellows breath in a subtle way. And that's another thing you might want to consider in your practice is, is your breath being a tad dramatic for the situation? Can we ease off the breath from a sharp, strong breath to a gentler, more moderate breath? And then lastly, before we sit this afternoon, oh, one thing, try to pick your anchor in your meditations and stick with it. I'm not sure if I said that yesterday, but if you choose breath and then you decide after five minutes, you're going to go for sound because you heard a bird, <laughs> but then you're getting fussed that you didn't pick breath after all, <laughs> you just pick one and go with it. It's, it's just one sit. Uh, and, and to talk about internal distractions, I want to talk about uh, Siddhartha's last sit before he became the Buddha. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, Siddhartha was the prince uh, who would go on a pursuit of inquiry about what is true and become the Buddha, which means Buddha means awakened one. Um, and his approach to in inquiry was systematic. He would exper experiment with different techniques. He made himself sick along the way. Just so you know, right, striving, strong, sometimes too sharp. He made himself sick along the way. Um, and, then, and then he would observe the outcome of his practice. And so then he would repeat the practices that had the outcomes that gave him insight. And that's, that's the meaning of vipassana is insight. And he talked about this, uh, he likened the process to archery, and he said that when an archer hits a bullseye, he examines the practices and the circumstances that led to his success. And repeating these, he can refine the techniques for greater frequency and duration of success. And if you're skillful in the kitchen, you know that if you find a recipe and you get to a blog and you scroll through all the pictures to actually find the recipe on the blog, you can change one or two things in that recipe. And if you only change one or two things, you can connect the dots between your process and the outcome. But if you change everything in the recipe and you wind up with sugar-free, gluten-free banana pucks, <laughs> it's hard to tell which was the change that led to the banana puck outcome. Back to Siddhartha. He sat under a sacred tree and, and he vowed to stay there until he discovered the way beyond death and decay. And at this point, uh, a demon named Mara shows up. And I particularly enjoy the name Mara because Mara is my mother's lifelong best friend. And Mara gave me a necklace a long time ago with uh, Thich, Thich Nhat Hanh, the um, Zen Buddhist master, my teacher Mona calls Grandmaster T. Um, Grandmaster T is saying, no mud, no lotus. 
So Mara gave that to me on a necklace. But in this instance, um, Mara is, uh, is death personified. That's who Mara is in these stories. And there's a few different stories about Mara. And I'm going to tell another one tomorrow. So my Mara is an incredible cook. But personified Mara, personified death, is supposed to be representative of all the kinds of deviations of thought that we have which are related to death and so Siddhartha is sitting under the fig tree and Mara shows up and he wants to distract Siddhartha from his meditation so that he can't realize freedom and he starts by sending the story goes that he sends beautiful women and they all have handmaidens and they're all very easy women and sometimes I wonder if this was written in the modern age would it be like and and Siddhartha was a, was a woman, it would be like, and, and Mara sent men who ask how your day was. <laughs> and then just wait for the response. <laughs> but it was written in a different era, so it's easy women. <laughs> so easy women show up, and, and Siddhartha was married. He was married and he had a son, and he, and he left his family. Uh, so he wasn't, wasn't tempted by the beautiful women. And when that didn't work, Mara sent armies, armies of lust, doubt, hypocrisy, cowardice, um, and alternate lives where Siddhartha was, was famous and influential on a grand scale, which Siddhartha, you know, he ultimately said, as long as there's someone... <laughs> As long as there's someone who wants to listen and receive these teachings, someone is good enough. Uh, but Siddhartha, so he was resolute. And when he approached the moment of realization, Mara asked him, who gave you the right to escape this realm? Which, you know, I think we've all had people like that in our lives where we make progress and they're like, stay the same. I need you to stay the same because you reaffirm so many things for me. But Siddhartha is said to have placed his palm on the ground and the sounds of millions of creatures crying out their sorrow and saying um, that his teachings would save them from sorrow. It's, it's said that the earth gave witness. And so that's his response. And then Mara in that moment goes away. Sometimes when I get into a conversation with someone about meditation, because of course not, not everyone I speak to is down for it. <laughs> you know, I meet a lot of people out in the world and they're like, oh, I couldn't meditate. I'm uniquely squirrely. And, and while it's true that you are all unique, and this is what I love about Ayurveda, is that Ayurveda individualizes practice at the same time. The techniques differ because you are not unique in your squirreliness. We are all squirrely. How we approach it matters, but we can all achieve less suffering. We can all achieve more peacefulness. Um, and as much as yoga and Buddhism have magic and magical powers throughout their stories, many, 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 the Buddha's realization came after experimentation, repetition, constancy, continuity, and duration. And so as we practice, those things, they're not particularly sexy, um, just to come back to the beautiful women. But as we practice, the distractions can be shockingly appealing, right? Beautiful women are the story, but what goes on upstairs is is desirable and weirdly desirable uh, because it's often, it's just easier than what we're doing in the moment. And that's when we redirect back to gentle breath or to sound and we conserve our mental energy. I decided to go for a walk before, a short walk before we came here and, uh, and I was walking along, I heard a chickadee does anyone know what a chickadee sounds like? And so I acknowledged the chickadee, and then I could tell the chickadee was close, and so I stopped walking, and then I looked up 
and I waited for a few moments and then the chickadee was in the tree next to me, but he, it took me a few moments to see him. I was watching him and I was like, this chickadee is used to being fed. <laughs> You're nicer than I am. I held out an empty hand. And this tiny descendant of dinosaurs, because they are, which is crazy, this tiny descendant of dinosaurs landed on my hand, to which I was like. <laughs> and then he was so disappointed and he went away. Yeah. There are signs of magical things all the time. Most of the time we can't hear them. Most of the time we can't hear them because we're playing a tribe called Red, or we're rehearsing. And so we're going, to, we're going to sit now. We're going to sit now. You're welcome to stretch out your legs, to lean back, to adjust what needs adjusting. Sometimes when one of my legs falls asleep in meditation, I'm like, mm, one last thing to worry about. And so as we said this afternoon, we'll use sound as our anchor. We'll use sound as our anchor. It will be subtle. It will be subtle. But set up your sit, cross-legged or feet raised perhaps if you're sitting in a chair. Settle your hands somewhere sustainable, reaching forward and then drawn back a tad or stacked in one another. Settle your head over your ribs, over your pelvis. As you settle in today, a couple of things. Your brain learns to identify sounds as foreground or background. Novel sensory impressions command attention. And so there are sounds that you aren't taking note of, but you actually can hear. One of the fans is moving. The building creaks here or there. There's a hum of some refrigerator keeping your food cool. When you hear the doors swing and the conversations of people keeping the center running and your meals made, treat it with the same gentle compassion you would the sound of a squirrel cracking a nut.
Everything is just nature at work. Exploring this different anchor today. We may find the internal sound quite loud. Your mental noting, your acknowledging of what is happening may need to be strong in the face of a new method. Just a reminder that you control the intensity of your practice. The next time you hear my voice will be the beginning of the dissolution of our set.
Begin to deepen your breath. Reintroduce little movements that speak to you. You may want to turn your head, lower your chin, or wiggle your fingers. And when you're acquainted with the idea of transition, you may wish to flutter open your eyes. Thank you to everyone who came on retreat and a big, big thank you to all my Patreon supporters. It wouldn't happen without you. And if there are more of you, there will be more work and more online practices for us all to partake in. So please consider visiting patreon.com backslash intelligent edge yoga. Namaste for now, yogis.